You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Hey, uh, Ecclesiastes 3 is where we're going to be today as we continue our series that we've entitled Life Under the Sun. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that the teacher from Ecclesiastes has been exposing the emptiness that we all feel when it comes to our own human accomplishments. Um, he's been really just kind of kicking over the ladders that we're all tempted to climb in order to try to find happiness and contentment. And in chapter 2, we really kind of had this shift to where, you know, all he has been showing us is that wisdom is vanity, uh, work is vanity. Uh, he, he's saying that, you know, uh, success and, and money and popularity, says none of those things will satisfy. And in chapter 2, what he does, he shows us how true enjoyment, true contentment that we're all looking for is not found in anything that we can achieve under the sun, but it's actually found in what we receive from the one who is beyond the sun. And God alone, he says, is the one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And honestly, if I was writing the book of Ecclesiastes, I would have stopped right there. That feels like a great place to actually end the teaching. But um, as we've been saying, this is one of the, the truest books ever written, not just in the Bible, but of all time. The teacher is, is keeping it real and he is showing us what life is like under the sun. And when we come to Ecclesiastes 3, it's important that we notice that what the teacher is doing here is he's acknowledging something that most of us aren't willing to acknowledge. And it's the fact that the only thing harder than living life without God is learning to live life with God. Because God does not always do things the way that we want him to. Um, because uh, even upon trusting him, we all still experience hardship and suffering. There are times, if we can be honest, we all are disappointed with God or angry with God or we have questions like God, like, like, what exactly are you doing in my life? Like, like, why did you let this thing happen? Or why didn't you answer this prayer? Or if you really are good and you love me as you say you do, why did you let my child die or my spouse leave? Like, why is there been so much suffering and pain in my life, even though I'm trying to please you? And if these are questions you've ever asked, then Ecclesiastes 3 is for you. With that, I'm going to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word as we read chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I'm reading from the NIV translation. And if you're wanting them, the notes for the sermon is on the YouVersion Bible app. We always put those there. You can grab them um, if that would serve you. Ecclesiastes 3, started in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever forever. 
Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is here, those listening online. I thank you for giving us your word, which is active and living. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will work through this, that we will all receive what it is that you want us to receive so that we can better live within the seasons that we find ourselves in. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the most important tools a gardener can have is a planning calendar. I think I've got a picture of the one that my wife and I have. This is the one that we use. I know that may be a little bit confusing. There's symbols and numbers and checks and letters and there's these half suns and full suns. And, and, and don't worry about what all it's saying. Basically, the point of a garden planner, like what you see, is, is to show you when to plant the crops based off of the seasons that we find ourselves in. And the reason this matters is because as any experienced gardener knows, if you don't understand how the seasons work, you're going to end up planting the wrong things at the wrong time. And so it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are or how hard you work, what happens if you don't pay attention to the seasons of life is you're going to end up frustrated and fruitless. And the same is true when it comes to the seasons of life, in that if we don't learn how to live within the different seasons that we find ourselves in, if we if we fail to acknowledge that there even are seasons, then we too will fail to grow and mature and experience ultimately the life that we long to experience. And because the teacher of Ecclesiastes knows this is true, he gives us the most famous poem of all time. Uh, Whether you've grown up in church or not, Um, You have either read this poem or you've heard someone else read this poem or maybe you've even sang about this poem. Uh, Some of you might remember the 1960s band, The Birds. Anyone in here? The Birds? Okay, a few of you. Um, They wrote a song entitled Turn, Turn, Turn. And basically it was a song that was taken from this poem right here in Ecclesiastes 3. And they just turned it into a number one international hit. So this really is a, a famous poem and ultimately... It's about the seasons of life. It's about the reality that no matter who you are or where you come from, we all go in and out of seasons. Uh, When it comes to your work, there are seasons. When it comes to your marriage or parenting, there are seasons. When it comes to your health, there are seasons. When it comes to family and relationships, we all go through different seasons. This is what the teacher says. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, There is a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under the heavens. And then he goes into his poem. He says, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. In other words, there's a time to start something and there's a time to end something. When it comes to school or when it comes to a job or when it comes to your kids leaving the house, there are in all of life beginnings and endings. He goes on in verse 3 and says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. So there are times for construction and there's times for deconstruction. I think of the old Paragold Junior High building. How many of you remember this building? I think we can put it on the screen. Some of you remember it. In my mind, that's one of the most majestic buildings ever to be built in Paragold. Um, But it couldn't stand the test of time. Eventually, it was tore down. It was at the corner of uh, 7th and Court Street and now... Uh, we have dentist offices there. Matter of fact, one of the members of our church is a dentist, owns an office there. There's doctors there. And so as I look at that, I'm reminded of the right of the teacher's words of there's a time to build and there's a time to 
tear down. That's what he's saying. This is not just true with buildings. It's true in all of our life. He then begins to go through all the different emotions that we experience. If you look in verse 4, he says, There is a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. He's saying, look, in life, there are seasons where you should be sad. Like, there are seasons where you will mourn, but then there are also times, there are seasons where you'll smile and you will laugh and you will dance and you will celebrate. In this very room last night, I celebrated my 20th year class reunion. Uh, I see some that were actually there at that. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. It doesn't feel like that should be appropriate applause, but I'll take it. Take what I can get. Um, there was a lot of laughter. And a lot of dancing and loud music. It was a party. And the teacher says, there's actually seasons where that's appropriate. He says, there are seasons where you are going to feel so full of hope. But then there are also times where you're going to feel hopeless and like giving up. Even as a Christian, he says, you're going to feel that at times. Verse 7, he goes on and says, there's a time to tear down and a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak. So there is a time to speak up and there's a time to shut up, right? And then in verse 8, though Jesus certainly wants us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we still see there are seasons, there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What is he saying? He's just saying, look, no matter who you are, this is what life is like under the sun. Life is filled with seasons. So the question I just want to ask you before we go any further is what season are you in? That's a very important question to answer. What season of life are you in? Some of you, maybe you feel like you're in a season of fall. When you think about the fall, it's a season of transition. The days are becoming shorter, weather's getting cooler. It's also a season of letting go. A lot of life is learning how to let go at the appropriate times. Think about how trees let go of their leaves in order to prepare for the frost. So, So fall is really a season about preparing for sometimes a harsh winter that is to come. And that's exactly what winter is. You think about the season of winter, which maybe some of you are in. Winter is a time of death. It's a time where few animals are stirring. Nothing is visibly growing. Nature actually feels like an enemy to you. For many people, uh, winter is a season of depression because it's a season of loss. But it also can be a season of great clarity. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the winter, the sky is clear. Because the trees have lost their leaves, you can see through things. And winter can be a time where you begin to see yourself more clearly, where you can see the world more clearly, see God more clearly. The winter is a time where you're forced to slow down. You may not want to, but you're forced to slow down and therefore rest and prepare for a new thing that God wants to do in your life. And that leads us into the season of spring, which is maybe where some of you are today. The season of spring is a season of new beginnings. It's where slowly but surely these small tender shoots begin to come forth from the ground of your life. The days get longer and greener. And eventually we get into the season of summer, which is a season what? It's a season of abundance. It's a time of plenty. We love these seasons. The fields are full of growth. And therefore, life is so vibrant. The days are so warm and so long, we forget about how hard and cold the winter was. And you see, the truth is, I don't know if you're anything like me. I assume you are like I want to live in spring and summer all the time. All right, like I want a season of life that is always marked by beauty and abundance. But notice, according to our text, you can't experience spring and summer without also going through fall and winter. Because the reality is, we all go through seasons. 
Christian or non-Christian, we all go through seasons. Some are good, some are bad, and some are just flat out ugly. And I think, like, for me, like, when I consider this, like, I can become a little bit cynical. I can look at this and be like, okay, well, if that's true, that seasons are going to come and go, and there's nothing I can do to control that, then, then why work? Why toil? Like, why try to do anything? That's actually what the teacher asked in verse 9. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? Like, if everything is fixed, if there's nothing we can do to change the seasons of life, then why even try? Like, why not? Why do anything at all? And then he actually gives the answer in verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also said eternity in the human heart. We love that verse. We go, oh, that's so sweet. But keep reading. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Hmm. Why would God do that? Why would God make it where nobody could fathom what he's doing? It's not what I would have done. I mean, isn't it true that one of the reasons life is so hard for us is whenever bad things happen, we're like, why? Why, God? I was speaking with a person in our church last week who's suffering from this debilitating pain. And one of the questions they were asking is, why? Because of this pain, they said, I don't feel like I can be the, the spouse I need to be, the parent I need to be, the employee I need to be. And isn't that true? We often ask that question, God, why? Like, what good is going to come from this? Oftentimes, I think we feel kind of like that grasshopper in the tall grass. It's like we can't see, so we try to jump up as tall as we can, as high as we can to get a glimpse, to gain perspective, to try to see the whole picture, every piece of the puzzle, but we can't quite stay up there long enough. As soon as we get a glimpse, we fall right back down into the weeds. And it is in this place of darkness and mystery and frustration and confusion and disappointment, most of us are willing to give up, to check out, to just say, you know what, forget it. And because the teacher knows this is true, very graciously in the rest of our text, he gives us three platforms to stand on. He gives us three kind of pieces of advice that, listen, if you will take to heart, you will not only learn to survive, but actually thrive no matter what season of life you find yourself in. And so here's what he says. First thing he says this morning is, look, if you want to flourish no matter what comes your way, the first thing you have to take to heart is this. It's the reality that God is in control and you are not. This is what the teacher is actually driving at in verse 11. He says in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That is an image, guys, listen, that God is in complete control. God is sovereign over every season of life. You say, well, what about whenever a child dies? What about whenever my spouse leaves or the pandemic breaks out or a doctor calls a bad news? Just last night I was here at the class reunion and a girl pulled me aside or a woman pulled me aside and that I graduated with and she said hey Jerry can you come here for a moment and kind of went around over where my office is and she said I haven't told anybody this but would you please pray for me I got diagnosed with breast cancer two days ago what about that God in control when that happens well according to the teacher the answer is yes According to the teacher, there's not one season or event that you will ever go through that is not first sifted through the sovereign hands of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. 
It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Not some things, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You say, yeah, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He's kind of weird. What about Jesus? What does Jesus have to say? Jesus says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet, listen to this, not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. That's sovereign. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. A sparrow was considered to be the smallest of all birds, and a penny was considered to be the least valuable of all coins within Roman currency. What is Jesus saying? God is sovereign over every single little detail you could imagine, even the small and significant stuff that you don't even think about. That's power. There are so many guys. I, I, I honestly could read you hundreds upon hundreds of verses that are just like that in the Bible. And I know that it presents a problem for us theologically and intellectually. We have so many questions when we think about that. Okay, God, if you're sovereign, why didn't you answer my prayer? Like, why didn't you save my child? Why why didn't you protect my marriage or give me this job? Or why didn't you heal this pain or take away this disease? I mean, these are questions, guys. Let's be real. These are questions we all ask from time to time. And if you haven't, you just haven't been following God long enough. We all want to know, God, why? And here's the reality. When you ask God why, very rarely will he give you the answer. That's verse 11. And that may be a difficult pill to swallow. The fact that God will rarely give you answers. But here's the good news. He will give you stories. He gives us stories like Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph Joseph in Genesis? He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. He's thrown into prison. He's cut off from his family only to rise in power in Egypt 20 years later so that he could save an entire nation from starvation. And you remember the climax of the, of the story. I know you've read it. Joseph's brothers, they eventually, like, they run into Joseph. Joseph is now second command, um, next to Pharaoh only. And they're thinking, oh man, we sold our brother into slavery. Now he's like the second most powerful man on the planet. He's going to kill us. And Joseph says, no, 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 I'm not mad at you. Listen to this line. Genesis 50, 20, what God meant or what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many. That's sovereignty. That's God is in control of all things. God didn't cause them to sin. God didn't create the evil or cause the evil, but he was able to work even through men's sinful actions to bring about good. What about the story of Jonah? That's a Sunday school favorite, right? It's a classic. Greatest hits. <laughs> Go read the book of Jonah sometime and pay attention to this phrase, God appointed, and see how many times it comes up. God appoints a storm. God appoints a ship. God appoints a fish. God even appoints a plant and then a worm. Not just to save a city, but to heal a preacher who didn't understand the very grace that he preached about. We have all kinds of stories like that in the Bible. And, listen, we have our own stories, don't we? Have you ever thought about this? Why are you here today, in this building, right now, sitting in these chairs? Now, there's, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of things that have happened like beyond your control. 
But think about it. How, how did we get here? Well, one of the reasons is because I moved back from Louisville, Kentucky to plant this church. You say, Jared, what were you doing in Louisville, Kentucky? Well, I got the presidential scholarship to Southern Seminary. You say, how in the world did you get the presidential scholarship to Southern Seminary? Well, because I was working at a First Baptist church, and the pastor of that church was friends of the president of the seminary, and the president owed him a favor. <laughs> and so that's how I got the presidential scholarship. You say, well, Jared, how did you get on the staff of First Baptist Church? Well, it was because whenever I was 19 years old, the church my dad pastored went through a horrific split. I mean, horrific. It was like hell. I remember deacons being in our living room and yelling at my dad and talking about suing the church, and it was awful. And yet through that, a church, a new church, came out of that church split, and the first Sunday they met, the pastor from First Baptist showed up, found out that I was there. We began to build a relationship, which eventually led me to being on the First Baptist staff. You say, Jerry, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that the church, uh, church split was a good thing? Absolutely not. But here's what I do want you to understand. God was sovereign over all of it. And even in a season of winter, in a season that was horrific, God turned it into something beautiful. Which is a reminder today that even when things are dark and cold and seem to be dead, we can continue to trust, as Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, that God works all things together for the good for those who have been called according to his purpose. You know, every single Wednesday we have a uh, what's called team sermon prep. It's a way for us to work with different people in this church to try to take this text and apply it to this specific people in this specific time. And this week, <clears throat> this week, Savannah Parrot was there, if I can find her text message. And she sent me this text after we were diving into this passage. And I just want to read this. It's just a testimony of how God works all things together for good eventually. She says, when we found out we were pregnant in February of 2020, we were over the moon. We told everyone we loved. We bought baby books. We were making an album for the baby. We were just ecstatic. But then we found out we had a miscarriage. That was difficult. But finding out with a mask on in a state of emergency with your husband waiting in the car was almost too much to bear. God sent us into a season for the next five months of deep grief, grief guttural longing, and a testing of our faith that we had never experienced. There were some moments where I literally had to say, I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I know where you've been, so today I'm going to rely on your faithfulness of the past. When we found out months later that I was pregnant with our sweet boy, we praised Jesus and were overjoyed, but something in us had changed. This is key. Our relationship with Jesus had significantly shifted. To this day, I cannot speak about Jesus without tearing up. He revealed himself to be so tender and more kind than I could have ever imagined. On May 3rd, 2021, our son Hudson was born. He was nine pounds and nine ounces of pure redemption and God's goodness. I was overwhelmed with gratitude. Looking back, I'm reminded that there is a purpose for every season we experience, and it makes me think, what if God is better than we could ever imagine? Before we go any further, I want to ask you this. What are some stories that you can look to in your own life that testify to God's faithfulness? It's very important that we recall those. We are all like that grasshopper. Man, we want to know, God, please just show me what you're doing in all of this mess. How many times have I asked that? God, could you just please show me how anything good is going to come from this? And here's the thing, guys. Please hear me. If God was to give you the answer, if he was to look at you and say, okay, come here. Let me just show you what I'm going to do and how this is all going to turn out good. You know what the problem is with that? The problem is you would begin to put your faith in that future event rather than God. 
And you say, well, why is that a problem? Because salvation does not come from an event out in the future. Salvation comes from God who you can trust today. And that leads me to the second truth that we have to take to heart, which is the reality that if we're not simply going to survive but thrive in the season that we are in, we must surrender to a sovereign God. In verse 14, the teacher says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. There's that phrase that we talked about a few weeks ago, the fear of God. That is a phrase we don't like to use in 2021. But what you need to understand, this is a fear you don't have to be afraid of. The fear of God, guys, actually sets you free from fear. The fear of God, when you begin to fear God, you are set free from the fear of man and you're set free from the fear of the future. This is not, to fear God does not mean that you're afraid that God is going to punish you. If you are in Christ, Jesus has taken your punishment on the cross. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So this is not a fear that leaves us wondering where we stand with God, but it's a fear that says, God, because you are in control, I know I don't have to be in control. God, because I know that you have all the answers, I know I don't have to have all the answers. And therefore, rather than trying to manipulate my family or the situation or my spouse or my finances or my schedule, rather than trying to control everything around me and my own power, I can surrender this situation in this season to you. And a lot of that, an important question to answer this morning before we move on is where or what is God calling you to surrender to him today? The reality is total freedom under the sun is found in complete surrender to the one who is beyond the sun. Guys, it is only whenever we begin to become right-sized, only whenever we understand our place under the sun, that then we can look with awe and inspiring hope to a holy God who one day will make all sad things untrue to the God who one day will bring something so beautiful to pass that it will suffice and atone for everything that has ever happened to you. And that's what the teacher says in verse 15. I'd never noticed this. I've read Ecclesiastes probably more than any other book of the Bible, but I just noticed this this past week in verse 15. Look at that last line. It says, God will call the past to account. Or actually like the ESV translation better, it says, God seeks what has been driven away. I like that because it's this picture of God as the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep in order to bring him back into the fold. And in light of this context, what is the teacher saying here? He's saying, listen, this is what God is going to do for those who trust him. He is going to, listen to this good news, he is going to bring back all of the stray details from your past, those that seem lost and irredeemable and forgotten. He is going to take back what you thought others had forgotten or perhaps no one else saw everything that has been done to you, all of your pain, all of your hurt, all of your abuse, everything you have ever experienced, God is one day going to completely redeem. Not one ounce of your suffering will have been in vain. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, I consider the suffering of this present world not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. Guys, this is what a sovereign God can do for you. And it is only when we grasp this reality, only whenever we become like King David who said in the Psalms, God, my time is in your hands that we can actually begin to enjoy life no matter what season we find ourselves in. And this is the last piece of advice the teacher leaves us with. It's this wonderful piece of advice, which is don't let what you can't control poison what you can enjoy. Don't let what you can't control poison what you can enjoy. That's verse 12. 
He says in verse 12, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. You know where anxiety comes from? Anxiety comes from our attempt to control the uncontrollable. Um, you actually, you, your brain can't be anxious about what's coming. Your brain doesn't know how to live out there. Your brain's anxious because of something that happened in your past, and now you're trying to control and keep that thing in the past from happening to you again. That's where anxiety comes from. It comes from us thinking, okay, man, no, this, this bad thing might happen again with my kids or with my spouse or my job or our finances. And therefore, man, I've got to prepare for the worst case scenario. And what the teacher recognizes here is the same thing Jesus recognizes in Matthew 6, which is all of this planning and prepping that we do in order to try to control an uncontrollable future. All that does is make us anxious. All that does is rob us of the joy in the present moment. You have to understand this today, guys. Listen, it's only when you begin to fear God. It is only whenever you finally know your place under the sun that we can then put everything under the sun in its place and as a result, enjoy the few days that we have been given. That's what the teacher says right here in verse 13. He says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God. In verse 9, he says, what gain does a worker have for all of his toil? How can I possibly enjoy work? How can I possibly enjoy the simple pleasures of life? Verse 13, he tells us to realize that it is all a gift from God. Because that is the secret to enjoyment. That is the secret to finding joy no matter what season you are in, to realize that all that you have been given is a gift from God. And you're like, well, what if I don't like what I've been given? What if there's something I want that God hasn't given me? Well, the only reason God is not giving you what you want is God knows it's not what you need. You have right now everything in your life that God feels like you need for contentment and happiness and joy that is ultimately found in him. The truth is, guys, we all go through seasons, fall, winter, spring, summer, and though we cannot control those seasons, we can choose to enjoy what we can while we can, to choose gratitude over grumbling and to give thanks to God for even the simple gifts of life. Butter pecan ice cream over a homemade brownie. Soccer practice. Do you guys know that I'm a soccer coach? Do y'all know that? Ten nine-year-old little girls. Yeah. Yeah, one of my soccer players was sitting right up here a while ago. I'm telling you, like, this past week we had practice. I rarely cry, but I felt some tears coming up. It's like those girls, I knew they were looking at me like, what's going on with that guy? I'm like, I just love this soccer practice so much. <laughs> We have so much fun, man. How about coffee? Does anybody like coffee? How about walking your dog? Yep, even that, these are all gifts given by God for our enjoyment. And so I just want to encourage you to ask before we leave today, what are some simple pleasures that you can thank God for right now? Simple gifts that are often taken for granted because we're so dang busy thinking about the future. Simple gifts that you can turn into gratitude towards God. The teacher says you want to thrive in this world, don't let what you can't control cause you to miss what you can enjoy. This world can be very hard on people. 
I know it's been hard on many of you. Bad things do happen to good people. Seasons come and seasons go and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But what you can do is learn to enjoy the gifts God has given you in the present moment by learning to trust a sovereign God who is good and who is making all things beautiful in the right time. And if this is difficult for you to believe like it is for me, it is why we have to continually meditate on the gospel. It's why we have to continually look to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came at the fullness of time, at the right season. And he came and lived a perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. And despite the fact, think about this, he's the only perfect man to ever live. You know what happened? He was crucified for it. He was killed. And there, while he was hanging on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, think about this, guys, we're almost done. If you would have been there in that moment looking at the cross, the Son of God dying in front of you, bloody and beaten, you would have thought, what good can come from this? And yet three days later, we know that God used the worst thing to ever happen to bring about the best thing that could ever happen. In Acts 4, 27 through 28, we read that Jesus died on the cross, and I quote, You can go read this on your own later. Because God anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever he had planned and predestined to take place. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did all those bad things happen? Because God worked it all together so that you and I could go from being enemies of God to being his beloved children. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be redeemed and accepted and made new. If God can take the worst event in the world and turn it into good, can he not do the same thing for you no matter what season of life you find yourself in? God doesn't give us all the answers to life's biggest questions, but what he does do is give us all that we need today to trust him now. To trust the one who loves us with an everlasting love, the one who gave up even his own son so that you could be brought into a relationship with him and saved from the vanities of life.